From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. And a very warm welcome aboard the pirate ship at the Reeve Gauche and to the Captain's Table podcast, brought to you by Are You Not Entertained and our great friends at Loch Lomond Whiskies. I'm Giles Morgan. I'm not actually a captain, or indeed a pirate. But a vague ancestor of my family, Captain Henry Morgan, actually was one. And his family all came from Wales as well. For 30 years, I have been lucky enough to travel all over the world as a boring old marketing suit in the sports industry, which included having arguably the best job in the world as head of sponsorship at HSBC. Along that journey, I got to rub shoulders with the good, the bad and the ugly from the world of sport. And having ditched the pinstripe suit for breeches and the red waistcoat and cutlass that befits a pirate captain, I set out to create this podcast where every fortnight I simply ask my special guests from the world of sport to share their own personal memories of being a sports fan and how that passion has affected and shaped their lives. Hi there, my hearties, and welcome back on board my pirate ship, the Reeve Gauche, and for another episode of The Captain's Table. I'm the captain. With the 2021 Summer Olympic Games hopefully just around the corner, I think it's time we focus on the Olympics and Olympians for a bit. And who better than to welcome on board my boat the one of Britain's greatest ever Olympians, former rower Sir Matthew Pinsent. His list of achievements on the water is astonishing. Four consecutive Olympic gold medals from 1992 to 2004, and which included the legendary partnership with Sir Steve Redgrave. But he also won 10 World Championship gold medals and the boat race twice. So let's welcome him to the captain's table. I can hear his gargantuan footsteps on the gangplank. So Matthew Pinson, welcome on board the, the Reeve Gauche and to the Captain's Table podcast. Pull up a chair, a big I will. chair. Thank you very much. Yeah, we'll get it's the biggest chair we've got actually. And try and make yourself at home. Please be um cautious with those big size 12 feet of yours. We've got dogs, cats, parrots, we've got a menagerie on board. Please don't trip up on them. They won't bite, I don't think. It's great to have um, a knight of the realm on the show. We've had that Chris Hoy, that cycling bloke. He, he, he got one of your gongs. And we had Lord Sebastian Coe and Laura Davis and Sir Gareth Edwards is coming up and Lord Ian Botham. But you're certainly our first rowing knight. So um, that's a big thing for me. Lovely to see you. And you. And first things first, I'm a good pirate. I'm a nice pirate. I need to get you a drink. And as you'll know, normally pirates... They serve rum, but not this not this pirate ship. This is classier. So the usual tipple of choice is um, from the good people of Loch Lomond who will serve you up uh, their sort of Scotch single malt thing, which is quite nice. So first question, how do you take your whiskey? Is it with ice, with water? You've got a Scottish background, ginger ale, Coke, orange juice. How are we serving your whiskey? 
Uh, no ice, just a dribble of water, please. Just a dribble of water. Well, we'll get Paul the steward to, to sort that out. He'll come along again. Watch out for him. He's got a gammy leg and he may trip up. But we, it's, we're, we're all good. We are seaworthy just about. Matthew, enough of this. And Tosh, um, you are one of the most revered sportsmen that Great Britain has ever produced. And it is lovely to, to have you on the show. But I'm not interested in rowing and I'm not interested in your past because it's been written by proper journalists and people who know what they're talking about. I don't. But I am interested to know, I know you're a fan of sport um, and played a lot of different sports yourselves and, and a fan of sport. What were your earliest sporting memories as a kid growing up? How did you get the passion before rowing, but just the whole nature of competition and being a fan? Uh, the 80 Olympics, watching that on TV. So that would have been uh, Co, Ovet. Daley Thompson, of course. I don't think you can be of that vintage without being really inspired and amazed by those guys. Uh, and then that sort of carried through because actually there was very little sport on TV compared to now to actually, you know, it would be strange things like wrestling on, on a, you know, Saturday afternoon, you know, Big Daddy. Not that they were particularly inspiring, but that's the sort of stuff that you would find yourself watching because the sports landscape was very strange then. But then, uh, you know, the Olympics for me definitely uh, cemented itself, 80 and then even more so 84. So I would have been nine and then 13. Those were really sort of seminal moments as a sports fan. And did you get to go to sporting events as a, as a little boy growing up? Did you, did you go to rugby or cricket or, or whatever it may be did you get the chance to do that and explore sort of live atmosphere no which seems which seems strange but we my dad was a vicar um so there might have been a budget constraint he was not a uh he, you know vicars are not well remunerated for their for their services uh and at that age we were living a long way away we were living in the borders of scotland which I suppose at a push, we might have gone to rugby at Kelso or Hoyt, but that would have been club. It certainly it wasn't Six Nations then. It would have been Five Nations. Um, you know, it, it just, no. I, you know, the first live crowd uh, for me would have been probably, actually thinking about it, it would have probably been the games that I went to experiencing not, I mean, rowing didn't draw a huge crowd, but going to the athletic stadium. But that would have been when I was in my early 20s. So that was, yeah, a completely different experience that I'd had growing up. So that's interesting. You grew up in the borders. Does that mean, do you, and your father, I believe, was a Scot. Do you sport Scotland or England at rugby? Well, it was always a complicated question growing up. Um, so I was born in England, brought up in Scotland. Um, and then it would, at the age of 13, we moved south again because my dad always felt that 10 years was enough in one parish. So, you know, we moved when I was two, we moved when I was 13, and then they finally retired when I'm sort of in my 20s. Um, so I got sort of out of those stops, there were, there were two English and one Scottish. Uh, and it would have been a very complicated question for me as a 13-year-old, are you English or Scottish? Whereas... Actually, you you can't really row for either England or I mean you can, but the 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 big vest, the big representation is all about Britain. Yeah, yeah. When you were um, a little boy living in either Scotland or in England, did you have who were the posters of sports people on your wall? 
did you did you have idols did you have people that you absolutely worshipped as a kid and and saw watching on bbc or um, on uh, itv uh, so for me it would have been i think the olympians co ovet thompson uh both um oh that might have been it probably um and then yeah and then and then rowing took hold and then and then it would have been bizarrely it would have been steve regrave you know <laughs> i literally had a had a picture of him up but that was when i was about 15 um so, so i was I, going to ask you so when did rowing presumably happen when you went up to to your your so secondary school presumably yeah, so i went to eton and rowing yeah. is a big thing there um and the the head of rowing or the head of year group rowing brought us into a room that I guess were 30 or 40 people and showed us a video of the race from the 84 Olympics where we won a gold medal. And whilst that was quite interesting, uh, it wasn't, you know, if, 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 you know, if, if this was sort of a drama, it would never be, but if this is a drama on Netflix, there'd be a sort of spotlight on me and I would, I would fix my eyes on the screen and the, the dream would take, you know, it would all be sort of um, romantic. Sensationalised music with great music as a sort of epiphany, your yeah. Damascene uh, moment. <laughs> no, no, absolutely none of that. All I wanted to do was row because I heard that, that rowing got you out of school on a Saturday. You got to go to regattas where you might drink beer and meet girls. And that was basically the, 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 the founding block of my sports career. And Matthew, you're a, you're a big lad, you know, yeah. you're six, five, you're, you know, you're, you're certainly built for, for, for comfort, not speed. <laughs> um, <laughs> but which I, I sort of, as a fellow large one can at least say that to you and look you straight in the eye. Absolutely. Did, did, did rowing choose you because as the school I went to, they liked the big, the big lads who probably could be handy. Did you have an aptitude? Did you fall in love with it very quickly? Or was it, as you say, something because it was something to do on a Saturday? And when, and then, and then, given such, such bloody hard work and requires endurance, when was the moment that you actually thought, "I love this, and I'm going to put everything into it"? So, did it choose me, or did I choose it? I think there's, that's that's a myth. I, I loved rugby, but but I realised at sort of fifteen, I think I was B or C team in my year group, and it was. I suddenly realized that actually a guy who's five foot two is going to, you know, in the right circumstances in the game, he's going to be able to peel back my fingers from the ball and hurt me quite badly, you know, <laughs> and actually lumbering around the pitch in the second row, you're sort of at the cold face. And whilst I loved it, I wasn't that good at it. Um, whereas rowing, I loved at that stage probably equally. And lots of people were saying, look, just concentrate. You could be good at this. You could be good at this. Just work on this, work on that. And it, and at that point, you know, as I now reckon, it sort of got its hooks into me and never really let, let go. And it just became addictive. And we weren't that good as a, uh, certainly as a under 15 or under 16, actually we were better at under 60, but there was just enough there, just enough winning to make me think this is great and just enough losing to make me think that really pees me off. I want to come back and win that next year. Um, and that, that's, balance between winning and losing was was really important to me and 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 it and it used to wind me up the losing wound me up more than the winning made me happy if that makes sense okay. so was, which is which is actually very much a, a mentality that all blacks understand which is the fear of loss and the anger of loss drives them not to lose yeah do you think that's something that a mindset that you have 
whether whether it was I, I was never uh, certainly at that stage I was never scared of losing it was never a fear of losing because you know in sport there's almost uniquely well anyway up for argument in sport there is a relationship there is a there is an equation where here's what you put in here's how you perform and here's the result and you are trying to control those sort of steps in that process you know you train hard you race as well as you can and then you get the result and so you know i was never scared of that result provided that we trained hard enough and provided we performed on the day that's not a scary thing because actually the more often you do it you realize right if we train really well and then go out and well in modern parlance you talk about executing to your plan you hear that coming out time and time again from people um, as long as you stick to your plan, you keep it very simple and you execute your processes and all that sort of stuff, you're going to get the result. And that, and that is very addictive when it's like, well, this is working. This is working. I can do this. And did you then, as you're saying, you love rugby and you probably watched rugby like we did. You watched Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks. Yeah. Did you think at this point, it's the 14, 15, you've gone to, you've gone to school that's very strong at rowing at Eton. You, you're good at it. You're starting to win. Did you start to become a fan of rowing, not just because of your own performance, but did you start to look out and see what the superstars as them were, the people like, as you said, Steve, were there other people? Did you then start to go to regattas as a fan, as opposed to just being a competitor? I, well, so the only, the only chance in the UK, I mean, there might've been others, but the big one was Henley which a friend of mine at school said, right, come on, come on, boys, we're going to go to Henley. And, and the only thing that I wanted to see was Steve race, uh, Steve and then Andy Holmes, his Olympic partner of the time, race race up the course. That was the only race I wanted to see. Um, and so that was, yeah, that was, a, that was a very strong sense of that's the bloke who's the best at this in the world or certainly in the UK. That was as close as I got to to fan. And, you know, it was pretty hard set. It was, you know, there was a picture of him on the wall and watching him staying up until one in the morning to watch him compete at the Olympics when I just after I left school, you know, and here was this figure who was going to be a big, big part of my life later on. And I started out as a as a sort of fan and admirer and, you know, wanted and to when you when you watched uh, Steve and and Andy. Yeah. And and you're this sort of presumably starting to become a strapping young man yourself. Yeah. Was it quite obvious as you watched them come down the Thames at Henley that yeah. they were just on another level? Could you see it? Was it evident as a fan and knowing it enough about what it's like to be an innate? Yes, because you can you can see you can see the physical specimen that they are. That's one, and you can see the way that they move the boat, which which is very. So, but it, it's a bit like a golf swing. You can you can tell watching someone swing a golf club the way that they, the, the, you know, the hours and hours that's gone into it and the way they make it look easy. And particularly the big hitters, uh, usually, it looks smooth and controlled and you're like, wow, how is how are they doing that? And that's what Andy and Steve had. You're like, look at the way that boat is moving. Look at the power that's being because rowing is very graceful and it has to be very smooth and it has to be relaxed at moments in the rowing stroke. But then this thing is just, 
zipping across the water. And that's really impressive. And do you think that was uh, one of the touch points then of you then going, right, I want to do that. That that is now taking me, I hope, onto a new journey of becoming a grown-up rower rather than a schoolboy rower. In some ways, but in other ways, I thought it was out of reach because it felt like the gap between where I was and where they were was sort of unbridgeable. Whereas actually, you know, if we go forward to when I left school and then I went to join the right rowing club, where a lot of these guys who were Olympians were then in the same changing rooms and weights room and car park and eventually boats with me, you're like, okay, well, actually, maybe this gap that I thought was Grand Canyon wide is only the Thames wide. Yes, they're ahead. Yes, they do lots of things better than me. But I can hold my own. I can, I can, I, 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 I'm, I'm in the group, as it were. And that, and that was it. And as soon as you're there, then you're beginning to, you know, steal your way, claw your way and copy little, little habits that they had and copy little and, and, and ignore the idiosyncrasies because you don't want those in a rowing crew. Um, and then I was able to close the gap. So final question on, on the own. How old was the young Matthew Pinson when you first went in a boat? I don't mean necessarily competed. When was the first time you trained with your hero, Sir Steve Red? Well, Steve Redgrave as he was then. Uh, there's a question. That would have been, I would have been 19, 18. Oh, and yeah. that, and that, that would be, what, that's like me um, batting with both of them or both, either of us batting with both of them or something like that. I mean, that must have felt extraordinary. But the, but the equivalent would be, you would, the, the cricket equivalent would be, there's a whole group of you in the nets and Botham turns up and, and goes, does a couple of deliveries to everybody sort of thing. And so it doesn't feel like, right, you and I are destined, this is going to be great. It was very much, you know, we're in a squad. We're in a squad of athletes. There's lots of mixing going on. There's an eight going out or next week we'll do this combination. So, so it wasn't like, um, you know, we weren't monogamous as it were <laughs> for another year or two. Um, but it was very formative that because, because, you know, he was the benchmark that everybody used at that stage. He'd won two Olympic gold medals. And that was, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was gold dust because, yeah. because that was quite rare. Amazing. And so did you, you went up to, to university. Were you, were you still, did you have time to be a sports fan? Had you gone to football or rugby or cricket internationals and stuff? And, and, and had you sort of got after the, the years in, in, in the borders, had you, had you had a go looking at other sports as a fan? Yes. Oh, by then, by then I was, it would be, it would be rugby or golf, football, just, just, passed me by i i can never and it's never uh you know whilst i've had sort of dalliances with different teams over the years it's never felt honest it's never felt right to me that i support one club over another so so yes it would be rugby definitely the varsity match if i went to oxford that was always a great great afternoon out um and then and then you know yeah probably golf might go to wentworth and watch watch the pga or something stand along the ropes there um the match have you you've traveled all over the world what have you been been or maybe it's twickenham it, it, what's your favorite stadium just to watch is it would it be going to twickenham or cardiff or someone like that no i think that, that I, well i'm i'm an olympics but there is something about an Olympic stadium, which is packed to the rafters, 
and something you know it'll probably be a it'll probably be a hundred meters let's say because that's a sort of blue ribbon event. and you know if you the, there was there was one 96 atlanta watching michael johnson win the 200 and every eyeball in the stadium is fixed on that one spot there must be 60 70 80,000 people in that stadium he crosses the line and everybody but everybody turns to the person next to them and says did you see that like it was just sort of those olympics produces those moments time and time again and different to rugby it's not half the stadium saying that's amazing and half the stadium saying that's a disaster it's everybody saying that was just stunning that is a piece of human endeavor and achievement that i'm glad i was here for you know it's sort of it it, it, it is it is i i do believe that's different it's really funny you should say that. I've asked a lot of people, you know, the same question on, on this podcast. And you will remember going back an awfully long time that um, when I first met you uh, back in the day when we were working together on the Adidas days, yeah. and I was lucky enough to go out to Atlanta for my what was my first Olympics and to obviously watch you and do all these sort of things. But I remember going to that um, Michael Johnson 200 meter. And I remember because it was a very balmy night, all the flashlights going off. Yeah. And I, how you just described it is perfect because I don't think I've ever to this day seen anything more um, extraordinary as a sporting occasion where your eyes are just on a gold pair of shoes. Yeah. And yeah. you're right. It was, and there was no one in that stadium who wouldn't have turned, not just to say, um, to, to rise in, in, in support, but also to say, thank God I was there because that yeah. felt like human history. And I'm no doubt that Usain Bolt's done the same etc etc but for me that was mine too well Usain Bolt's never had a home games so so that was you know a home crowd to do that does I think add a difference or I mean we might have seen it in London you know uh with Mo Farah or Super Saturday I mean those that's equivalent um but the other the other nice add-on for me as an Olympic athlete by then I'd you know I'd finished my my uh, event I'd got my gold medal but I was sitting. I was sitting on a tram going around the village the next day, and Frankie Fredericks got in the in the seat ahead of me, and he was getting ready for I think the four by whatever the ones or whatever, and 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 everyone forgets he broke the world record, but he was he was the old world record. He was five or six meters behind Michael Johnson in that two hundred. It was an ocean, and he broke the world record. And I I said to him, you know. I, ju- I was there last night. I just wanted to say, it, I, I really appreciated what you, that you were part of that race as well. And he said, "Well, thanks, but there was nothing I could do. He was too good." <laughs> he you was. And you just think that's that's nice. You've watched a lot of sport. You've obviously competed at the highest level. But as a um, spectator, are you emotional about sport? Do you cry? Do you, do you, do you, do you, does it get to you? Uh, it. It does. Do I cry? Funnily enough, again, it's 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 the sort of it's the Olympic stuff within me. The culmination, the Olympics, is very good at that heartstring stuff because if it isn't the finish line that gets you in the back of the throat watching someone compete, it's the medal ceremony. 
And that that is very, you know, the Olympics invented the medal ceremony. Everyone else tries to copy it. But that combination of gold, silver, bronze, here's the national anthem, that is wonderful. It is, it is a piece of theatre, that. Um, and, and that I think is, is in, when you know some of the backstory, when it's a, when it's your nation, when it's a, an emotional win, then it, uh, that, that gets me every time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, making a little more frivolous question. So <laughs> you and I, let's imagine we're going to, um, Twickenham yeah. and you've decided that you're supporting England over Scotland because you okay, have decided yeah, I would, I would, I think. Yeah, I know you would. And I know I'm going to support Wales. Right, and we've gone to half time. It's six. It's seven all. So yeah. it's a tight game, yeah. and we're going to go behind. We're going to go to the um, bar and get a pint. Yeah, and then there, as you know, there is a huge myriad of um, of burger vans and food vans and all the rest of it. And we're going to get our half time snack. What is the Matthew Pinsent half time snack? Oh, it depends on the mood. Uh, okay, if it's got, uh, then, then, then if it, I'll keep it simple. I think it should be beer and crisps. That's quite a tough combination to be. Easy to carry. You're not unlikely to spill it on your shirt. Positive <laughs> condiments. Uh, beer and chips. That'll do. Okay, well, I'll have your burger then. That's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, now, I, Loch Lomond, um, who sponsor this show, ludicrously, no one knows why they do, but they're absolutely super to stock the bar. Um, they are all they sponsor lots of things now, uh, particularly the, they're the spirit of the Open Golf Championship, which wow. is marvellous. And um, I think you play a bit of golf, do you? I do. In fact, and, I'm going to play uh, next week at the uh, at the Open venue for this year. Wonderful. Are you any good? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, is that a, are you a, a guest of one of the, the corporates? Is that, oh, is that where you're going? One of the members at Sandwich. So I'm really oh. looking forward to, uh, to that, particularly as he's paying the bill. Oh, that is a magnificent invitation. Well, I hope you take lots of golf balls and make yeah. sure you, you know, always, always need to reload on those, on those venues. Yeah. Um, have you played golf with a, a sporting hero or p- a, a, a political giant? Have you ever, where you've been in golf and go, bloody hell, I can't believe I'm standing on the, on the tee box with, with this person. I mean, cause, because, because I, because I can play pro-am golf. Um, you get, get a couple of those invites and you see those guys up close, you know, playing. With- and who's the most, who's the, who's the, the golfer that you've played with that has led you to awe and probably a, a shank? <laughs> Ernie Els, because because uh, I just think he's a wonderful. He's he's a big, tall guy, big, powerful guy, and his his swing is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. I could stand, and I have done. I've stood on the practice range and just watched him for forty five minutes, just hitting balls. It's lovely. Well, I was in, I was into what you said actually when when you were set, talking about the, the the rowing stroke of the power, but also the grace. That that to me is the Ernie Els golf swing where yeah. he, he, he was generating astonishing power, but it looked like it was in slow motion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what's the phrase? That is something like a, one of the commentators, I think it was on American TV, said it's a golf swing that runs on double cream. <laughs> and that's a lovely turn of phrase. That is good. Okay, so we're going to, uh, I'm going to invite you then to have your own dream not yeah. even am am team so but you can have pros in it you have anyone in the world but you're you and three others 
Okay. Playing at any course in the world, what, who would who would who would you play with? Goodness me. Okay. Well, Ernie's got to be there. Ernie, Ernie's got to be got to be my partner. That'll be good. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll put Steve Redgrave on the other side because it's always good playing playing him for 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 you know two p a hole. And who should I give Steve? I'll give. I'll give Steve. Um, uh, uh, um, who was the uh, um, Kim Il Kim Il Jong? Because because the North Korean leader, because his golf is supposedly fantastic, and I'd love <laughs> to see Steve playing with a North Korean dictator against Ernie Els and me. <laughs> that that I was not expecting that answer. That's um, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> It would be good fun. It would be good fun. I'm not sure Kimmel Young would get our jokes. Maybe not, but there we go. It'd be a good laugh. Um, have you um, been, you know, you've talked, obviously you've been to many Olympic Games as a competitor and now as a, as a broadcaster and as, as someone talking about it. Is there any sporting event uh, on the planet that you haven't been to that is on your bucket list that you would love to go to? Uh, yes. Um and, and and ashes and ashes or an MCG test as part of the ashes for sure. Um, Lions tour. I was I was flirting with. Oh gosh, in the you know it feels like two years ago now when I was sort of thinking about oh I'd really love to go to South Africa and watch the Lions tour or match the Lions tour. So those would be on the list. Um, and then what else? Well, Augusta. Yeah, Augusta. I think that that. That would be quite a, that would be a triumvirate that would keep me, keep me very. Well, it, you could, I don't know how the calendar works on that, but you could, that could be one hell of a year off, couldn't it? Going to MCG at Christmas and then just sort of spinning around. Yeah, that would be good. And I, I would imagine, Matthew, that with, I mean, gosh, I can't, because you're an Olympian and because you were an Olympian for a very long time and it's the multi-sport nature of it, I would imagine that you have met an extraordinary amount of true sporting heroes and sporting greats um, on your time. Was there anyone that you would like to have met, maybe even alive or dead, that someone you would just put in the pantheon of the greatest that you would love to have shaken their hand? Oh, so many. Um, Jesse Owens, for sure. Um, that he, he would be up there. Um, who else? Um, Did you meet Muhammad Ali? Yes, but at a stage he came to he came into the Olympic Village in '96 because uh, he was lighting the flame that night, and it was a it was just a bit of a bun fight because in in the days before selfies, everybody wanted a selfie, not you know wanted a photo yeah. with him, and it was just. It was just a sort of feeding friends in it. I, and actually, in the end, I was like, do you know what? I, I, I'm actually, I prefer just to not be part of a sort of scrum. group of scrum around around him. Um, I would have, yeah, it would have been, but but even then you could tell that he, he had a, that sort of shambling gait and sort of shaky hands and had minders around him. And it just was, it felt, it didn't feel... Yeah, it was sort of like, actually, I don't, yeah. Not that I didn't want to get near him, but it was just like, I, I yeah, I just didn't want to be part of that scrum. I didn't feel that he was necessarily enjoying it. It was 
very strange. And you'd think absolutely in, in any normal way, he would be on the bucket list for sure. It is, it is interesting though, when you think of, you talked about, you know, your childhood, we're, we're exactly the same age, but it's interesting that the Coes, the Ovets, the Thompsons, who obviously in athletics were, were the greats and Redgrave, yeah. obviously in rowing, is that through your Olympic world, both competing and then post, post your own competition, you've worked with these guys, you know a lot of them, I should think, and count many of them as, as good friends as you've been yeah. on that, but you've had the privilege of getting to know your heroes as well. Yes, and also also just that chance to, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I appreciate people who come over and say, you know, I really enjoyed what you did, but leave it at that. And so, I, I mean, you know, there were, uh, François Pinard or someone who who I saw at a at a sort of swanky black tie event in charity dinner in London on one of those big part lane hotels, standing at the bar, getting a drink. And I sort of went over and just, I just thought I'd like to say, you know, when you gave that comment to the TV interviewer, he, the, 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 the TV guy asked him the question just before, after he lift, lifted the world cup in 95, I think that's right. That's right. Who said, who said um, you know, what did it feel like to have the whole stadium cheering you on to win the world cup? And he said, we didn't have the whole stadium, we had the whole nation. And you just think it is a it is a line of genius. And I, and, I, and that's and so I said to him at the bar, I just want to say, well done. And I thought that line was brilliant. And he said, Thank you very much. And I and I left him to it. I didn't need to know who I was. Yeah. Yeah, uh, wonderful. It just wonderful. Yeah. Well, we come to the part of the show now which um, is called the Captain's Broadside. Um, where I ask you a series of relatively quick-fire questions, if I can right. think of them quick enough. Okay. Um, so, you've come aboard my beautiful uh, ship, the Reeve yeah. Gauche, and we are free to sail anywhere your heart desires. So, the first question is, what is your chosen destination? Where can we drop you off? Caribbean. Very good. Any particular islands, sir? No, you don't. You don't I mean, does it really matter? Anyway, what I'll do... Okay, we will go to the Caribbean. Pirates like going to the Caribbean for obvious reasons. Um, and as my guest at this um, beautiful table that you see before you, we will feed you, and I will feed you well. But first night honour, it's like Dois de Seigneur, is that you get to chew... No, not quite like Dois de Seigneur, actually. <laughs> we get to... You get to choose your three-course meal, and I always lob in cheese as... That, that's a given because I will eat the cheese okay. myself. Right. Uh, right, we'll have we'll have oysters to start. Fantastic starter. Yeah. Um, we'll have we'll have uh, oh beef Wellington as a main. Nice, solid. And then what should we have as a pudding? Uh, we'll have something Creole uh, tiramisu. How's that? That's very good. The uh, Paul of the who is the steward is also the chef, but he does a mean tiramisu. He has an Italian mother, I believe. So that's good. Um, and we also um, give you a beautiful ensuite um, cabin um, with ensuite bathroom with power shower, which is amazing given we're in the 18th century. Yes. What song does Sir Matthew Pinson sing in the shower? <laughs> what do I sing in the shower? I don't know. The, the crew uh, will be listening, so you know you better make it lusty and good. Uh, what would I? What would I choose? 
Well, okay. Uh, something. Okay, this is off the wall. I'll go for. I'll go for. I'll go for Nesson Dorma uh, Opera because because in the shower, no one can hear how badly you massacre. <laughs> My God, they will be listening to that, the crew. And do you um, remember what your first um, ever album was? Yes, it was the Smurfs. <laughs> I was about seven or six. And because I had older sisters who were constantly buying uh, records, I felt that I, that's what I should spend. I think I got given record tokens and I went carefully down to, to Woolworths and spent my record takings and came back with a Smurfs LP. That, that, is, is, that, that is hilarious, because the, ne- the next question is not going to be connected, but should be connected, which is, what was your first ever live gig? But it wasn't the Smurfs. It was not the I don't believe they ever toured. Uh, <laughs> I, went, I, went, uh, I went to watch Genesis. I was quite young, but it went to watch Genesis. Uh, Whereabouts? Was, Do you remember where it was? Oh, it could have been Edinburgh, but it's lost in the mist of time. I was really too young to be doing it, but yeah. It was, was that in the Peter Gabriel era or after Peter Gabriel? Probably uh, after. Uh, no, it must have been. It must have been Peter Gabriel. It was that long ago. Bloody how you are old! But we knew that. Um, what was your first car? Peugeot two hundred five diesel. <laughs> Absolutely. What Do you remember? What's that? What color was it? Red. Had it and for. I a- bet you- I bet you loved it. Uh, yes, I did love it. And I, I, yeah, I sort of shed a tear when my sister managed to crash it and write it off many, without me in it, fortunately. <laughs> well, yes. Um, and I wondered also if you're... It's an interesting question. It's almost psychological, but I can't spell psychological. But we're going down to the Caribbean. We're in a, in a pirate ship. And obviously pirate ships are designed to smuggle. So I was wondering... With all of the career that you've had and the, the long, extraordinary career you've had, in fact, in, in sport, is there a treasured possession that you own, that you have, that we could put in a chest and look after for all times? Because you just, I, what I mean, I guess, is are you an acquisitive person or is it something that doesn't bother you? Or is there something that we could look after as, as, as pirates do and make sure it's buried in the sand for safekeeping? Uh, okay, here's a good one. Uh, so my dad, many before he was a vicar, was a naval cadet. And uh, when he went in those days, in the 40s, this was when you passed out uh, in the Navy at Dartmouth, you had a sword. And so I think it would go very well on a pirate ship that you could keep for me forever my father's naval sword. It's a proper, you know, with a sort of a very blunt, but it's a silver long blade with the braid on the handle and almost a cutlass but not quite but that that's very um yeah that's very dear to me and i just think that that actually probably lives better on a pirate ship than anywhere else well we will take it and we will look after it and and polish it every every week one of the one of the crew will do that matthew um i've taken a lot of your time you've got to get ready for dinner it is a black tie event for the first evening so Go and have a shower. Go and sing your Ness and Dorma. Get ready for, for the oysters and for the, uh, for the beef welly, which I'm quite looking forward to. That's a good choice. And um, the tiramisu will be a triumph. You've been a, a wonderful guest, and it's a real pleasure to have you on board the Reef Gauche and at the captain's table. Thank you for coming on. And, and 
as I mentioned earlier, this is the classiest of all pirate ships, and we do do things a little bit differently. So I'm also going to leave you with our own special type of treasure, which is a bottle of the 12-year-old single malt whiskey from our friends at Loch Lomond Whiskies. Matthew, thank you. Pleasure. Bizarre, but a pleasure. <laughs> so, Matthew Pinson, what a lovely, lovely, gentle bloke and a total legend. It was brilliant to have him on board. So for all our listeners, we're so grateful for your support of the show. And we don't want you to leave with your sellers empty either. And so our kind friends at Lochlow and Whiskies are very kindly and once again giving away a bottle of their 12-year-old single malt whiskey. To be in with a chance of winning this bottle, head over to their Twitter page at Loch Lomond Malts and follow the instructions to enter. From all my colleagues at Are You Not Entertained, Grant, James, Roger, and the guys at Loch Lomond Whiskies, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support for all of the shows we make. We're really, really grateful for your time. And if you do get a chance, please both tell your friends about us and review us um, because it really does help our numbers. And uh, you can find us by uh, just really searching Are You Not Entertained? If you want to follow me or get in touch, you can do so on Twitter um, at GilesMorgan71 or email me at giles at gilesmorgan.com. It'd be great to hear from you. So until we meet again, you know, keep the boat tidy and look after yourselves. Goodbye. <laughs>